You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. It is so good to see you guys here this morning. If you're joining online, welcome as well. We're starting a new series for the next several weeks today called Make Space. And even before we jump into our teaching this morning, I just want to let you know that uh, along with this series, we have a devotional that we wrote that goes with it. And so we have uh, free copies of these out in the lobby. If you're joining online, you can download a, a digital version as well at newlifewayland.org slash makespace. Uh, but I really encourage you to, to work through this in your own personal time with Jesus as we walk through uh, this series together. And uh, so we're going to begin. Does that sound good? Awesome. We got some energy this morning. I love it. So three years ago, uh, my wife and I moved from Rockford to a farmhouse here in Wayland. We bought a 120-year-old farmhouse. And I'm going to be completely honest. Our realtor warned us we did not entirely know what we were getting ourselves into. Heating your house in the middle of Michigan winter with wood has been a, uh, let's just say it's been a learning experience, to put it nicely. Between almost like chopping off my thumb with our wood splitter to figuring out how to get wood and all of that stuff, it has been a learning experience. Some of you have been doing this for decades, for generations. We're still learning and getting in the rhythm of how to heat our house with wood. And one of my favorite things about heating our house with wood is when we wake up on a January morning to a house that is 48 degrees inside. 48 degrees because we either did not successfully get the fire lit to stay all night or we just were lazy that night before and didn't revive the fire. And and the truth is, no matter how strong the fire was the day before, if that fire is not revived, it'll die. Every single time, it will die if it's not revived. And the same thing is true spiritually. That no matter how strong your fire is for Jesus, no matter how high the mountaintop experience that you have had of God, no matter how well-intentioned you may be, spiritually, your soul cools off if it is not revived. We have a habit of deteriorating. And some of us, some of us are, if we were to look at our lives and the temperature of our souls right now, they are 48 degrees and freezing because we have not revived our souls all summer long spiritually. Fires die if they are not revived. And when most of us hear kind of the word revival in a church setting, it has the tendency to conjure up all kinds of things, doesn't it? Like for some of us, we think of revival and we think of a specific period of time. People like Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley and the Great Awakening or maybe names come to mind like Billy Sunday or Billy Graham or Dwight L. Moody. Others of us, and I have friends in this situation, grew up in 
faith traditions where revival meant like tent meetings for like eight hours a day. I have friends who grew up in the South and they twitch when they hear the word revival in church because it triggers all kinds of things. That's not what we're talking about this morning. What we are talking about this morning when it comes to revival is this idea that every single one of us have souls that need constant and continual revival, just like a fire, just like a wood boiler. They need to be revived. And so as we begin our new series, Make Space, this morning, I want to begin by asking you this question. I want to ask you to do a little personal kind of self-assessment this morning. What is the temperature of your soul right now in this season? What's the temperature of your soul in this season? Is it a fire that is burning bright? Or is it 48 degrees and freezing? As we jump into this series, Make Space, we're going to be living in Exodus for this series. And we're going to be tracking along with the journey of Israel and what God's call was for them to make space for his presence, to orient their lives around his presence, to revive their souls with love for him. And when we jump in this morning, we're jumping into Exodus 33. Where we're jumping in this morning, Israel's house spiritually is 48 degrees and freezing. You see, God had just redeemed them from Egypt. He had just brought them out through signs and wonders, through the Red Sea, done miraculous things before them. And here we are in this moment where Israel had just made a golden calf. And I want you to watch this conversation between God and Moses about his people Israel. This is what it says in Exodus 33, verse 5. For the Lord had said to Moses... Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. God doesn't mince words. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. <laughs> God is, this is like a breakup speech almost. <laughs> he, he's, like, he's like, I can't be with these people anymore. It's not me, it's you, Right? Like, this is what God is saying to Israel. You are a stiff-necked people. You're kind of spiritual idiots in a way. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb, which is just another name for Mount Sinai, onward. And so this is the context that we're looking at this morning. And I used to read kind of the story of Israel. And by the way, this is like a pattern in Israel. This is not a one-time instance. Like, God calls Israel stiff-necked more than one time. And I used to read this story of Israel and think to myself, like, how can you be so bullheaded, so thick-headed, where you saw God do all of these things and you still don't trust him? And then I had kids. <laughs> and now I get, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you see, they witnessed the hand of God, free them from an oppressive empire, free them from Egypt. They got to see his creation power by dividing a sea for them and walking through it. They got to see constant provision, signs, and wonders. And when I look at Israel, it is so easy to feel spiritually superior to them. Then I look at my own life and my own tendencies, my own soul's tendency to cool off, to deteriorate, unless it is revived. We all find ourselves in this place. Maybe, maybe you've been in a place where you've like made deals with God, where you say things like, I'll, I'll never doubt again. 
I'll never sleep with that person again. I'll never go back to that internet website. I'll make my marriage work. Like there are times in our lives where we feel so close to God and our tendency in those moments is to make these big, grand promises to God. Like I will never, ever do that again. And then real life happens. Right? Distraction set in. Selfishness takes over. Doubt creeps in. Your soul cools off. Others of you are here, and, and maybe you wouldn't even consider yourself a Christian. Like maybe you're here, and you're just kind of seeking. You're just kind of checking this out. You're here, but you're not really here, if you know what I mean. Others of us, we grew up in, in Christian families, and we consider ourselves Christian by association. I think that's actually one of the most dangerous parts of West Michigan Christian culture, this idea of Christian by association, and it runs really, really deep. But you've never experienced the real, life-changing, powerful presence of God that has the ability to transform everything. See, a lot of us, I think, live with this massive gap between what we hear a preacher say on a stage on Sunday about God and what we experience of him on a Monday morning what we experience of him when our kids are crying at night or there's a stressful job situation. A lot of us live with this massive gap between what we hear or read about God and what we experience him on the daily. Why is this? Because our souls have a tendency to cool off. Our souls are like fires that die if they're not revived. And this is true for, for all of us. Like Maybe for you, following Jesus has become mundane. Maybe church feels stale. By the way, Pastor confession time, that happens to us too. Like we're not immune to that. There are times where church services can feel stale to us or we drift towards selfishness. We try to fill God's place with cheap substitutes like Israel did, idols. You know what I would use as a metaphor for an idol when it comes to fire? An idol is just like trying to use newspaper to sustain a fire. Right? You, you light it and it burns really bright for about 30 seconds and then it's just gone. There's nothing that actually sustains the fire. This can also be the place where hypocrisy sets in, where our soul is cooled off, but we don't want to actually deal with that. So we just kind of point out everybody else's souls that seem to be cooled off. <laughs> right? Anybody else? No? Just me? Okay. I'll go to counseling later. This is not God's heart for us. This is not God's heart for our church. God knows that our souls are prone to cool off. And yet his heart is that we would have souls that are yearning and longing and hungry to be fed and souls that actually are fed and are revived. And there is a secret sauce to revival in Exodus 33. There is a secret sauce for this series where God shows up and he shows off what it is that actually has the power to revive the soul. And I want to keep reading here in the text to, to show you exactly what that is. Continuing on in, in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, which represents God's presence, 
his nearness, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. There's one phrase that shows up in these few verses. One phrase that I actually believe is the secret sauce to a church filled with people, souls who are being revived on a regular basis. And the the phrase is this, everyone who sought the Lord. Other translations, the NIV says, anyone inquiring of the Lord. Anyone inquiring of the Lord. Anyone longing for his power. Anyone thirsty for his presence. Anyone hungry for his nearness. You see, the prerequisite to coming to God is not a perfect spiritual life. The prerequisite for coming to God is not a pedigree like education or money or status. The the prerequisite for coming to God is not a perfect prayer life or a spotless record. There is one prerequisite for coming to God to have your soul revived. And it's longing for his presence. It's need. It's bringing unmet need to him. That is is what revives a spiritually frozen house. Anyone inquiring of the Lord, it's an awareness of our own desperate need for him. That's it. Like that is the secret sauce to revival. The problem is life happens and we forget our need. Self-sufficiency sets in. Laziness or apathy sets in. Have you ever wondered... Maybe you've read Exodus, why God took so long to redeem Israel. Like, why couldn't he just snap his fingers while they were in Egypt, and boom, they're like teleported to the promised land. Like, he could do that, right? He split a sea, he could do that immediately. But here's what I want you to think about. Had God done that, had God just snapped his fingers and teleported them from Egypt to a land of abundance and independence. Like, why is redemption so slow? And the same thing is true for us with following Jesus. Like, why is it not the case where you trust in Jesus and bam, your life is perfect, your life is easy, your problems all go away? Because if that was his method of redeeming a stiff-necked people, if that was his method of redeeming people who are prone to having souls that cool off, that get frozen, then we just forget our need for him. We convince ourselves that everything we have and everything we are is because we earned it or we cleaned ourselves up or we deserve it. You see, for Israel, they could convince themselves that everything they have and everything they are is because they did it. And yet every single step of Israel's redemption journey, every single one God designed to increase their dependency on him, their need for his presence, their need for his power, every single one. I mean, from leaving Egypt to being led by the pillar of fire to crossing the Red Sea, they do not take a step forward without a need for God's presence and his power and his provision in their community. They don't. From feeding them with manna in the wilderness, every single day having to go out and collect bread, if they collect more than what they need for that day, it spoils Why? Because God's not just leading them to a land of abundance and independence. He's leading them to an utter place of dependence and trust and need for him. 
That's where he's leading Israel. He's teaching them how to make space for his presence. But you know we're not just talking about Israel right now, right? We're talking about us. You see, we live in a land where it's easy to convince ourselves that everything we are and everything we have is because we worked hard for it, we earned it, we deserve it. That's not God's heart. That's what freezes a soul over. What keeps a soul spiritually hot, what keeps a fire in a soul being constantly revived, that is a hard word for me this morning, revived, is acknowledging that apart from Jesus, I have nothing. I am nothing. I can do nothing. Moses, in this conversation with God, he says something so profound, so important, that we're going to dig into it in a few weeks from now. But the thing that he says to God is, we will not take a step forward without your presence. We won't do it. We're unwilling to do it. As he leads Israel, what he says to God is, if your presence isn't going to go with us, we're not going. We're not going. And I love how St. Augustine says this. He's a spiritual giant, has some really brilliant insights. But this is what St. Augustine says. He says, God gives where he finds empty hands. God gives where he finds empty hands. The problem is some of us have such full hands that we've forgotten our desperate need for him. Like some of us, equate, and I think a lot of us do this, we equate kind of a good life or things going well to like the nearness and the presence of God, but that's not how scripture talks about the presence of God. Like if my life is going well, if I'm getting blessings, if the crops are coming in, if my standard of living is going up, if my prayers are being answered, I must have the presence of God. But that's not how scripture talks about it. That the presence of God is measured by our desperate need for that presence, our desperate need for him. You know, we uh, here at New Life over the last couple years have experienced some really, really incredible things. And I've shared this briefly before, but I, I found out a few weeks ago that of 180 churches in our region, we have been one of the fastest growing churches. I mean, we've been able to, to see and witness and be part of some really incredible things in this community. We just served for two days, thousands and thousands of people at a balloon fest. We have our essential store, like our youth group starting up again next week. Like there have been such incredible things and it's good and it's fine to celebrate those things. We should celebrate those things. Those are worth celebrating. However, this is the danger you can build a church without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can. You can build a church that is taking steps forward without the presence of God leading you. You can build programs. You can serve a community. You can inspire people to give and serve and do all of the things, all of the spiritual motions, without the presence of God going before you. So when I look at our community and our church, the most important question I find myself asking over and over and over again is what is the spiritual temperature of this house? What is the spiritual temperature of this house? Guys, there's not a day that goes by where I am not in the presence of Jesus, pouring my heart out to him and feeling completely inadequate of everything he's doing here. 
I'm not a perfect man, not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect dad. I don't pretend to be. There's nights where I'd rather binge Netflix than read my Bible. Yes, the pastor just said that. Like, who am I to get up on a stage and preach? Like, like I've struggled a lot in ministry over the years with just, do I belong here? Am I adequate? I'm, like, I, there are times where I lack confidence, where I don't know what right decisions are, where I'm just like, ah, like I'm just trying to keep up. Right? There are times, a lot of times where that happens. And this is what the world would say to that. The world would say, well, you just need more self-confidence. Or you need to be reminded that you're worthy of everything you've earned and everything you got. But that's not ever how Jesus meets any of us in our lives. His message to us is never, you need more self-confidence. His message is, you need more Jesus confidence. Like, you lack confidence in your life? Bring that need to Jesus. He is sufficient to meet that. His, his message is, you are not perfect, perfect. You're still a work in progress. Bring that to Jesus. He specializes in showing off his, or his perfection through our imperfection. You struggle with anxiety. You struggle with fear of the future. Jesus' love casts out fear. He doesn't just want to give you peace. He is your peace. See, I heard a friend say a phrase a few months back, and this phrase has become such a mantra for my life. This is another friend who's in ministry, who's also, a lot of us pastors deal with this, just so you know, who's navigated insecurity or lack of confidence or whatever it might be. And this is what my friend says, and I've just, I repeat this over and over in my mind. He says this, my nothingness in the hands of Jesus is everything. And that's true for all of us. My nothingness in the hands of Jesus is everything. I'm going to make a bold statement here as a pastor right now. My prayer in this next season is that at New Life Church, that God would freeze every measure of human success if we are trying to go forward without his presence. My prayer is that giving would dry up if we are trying to move forward without his presence. My prayer is that serving, people would not serve if we are trying to move forward without his presence. His presence is what leads us. His presence is what we build and we orient our lives around. His presence is the only thing that can sustain us. And the point is that God gives where he finds empty hands, where he finds hands that are open and willing for him to do what only he can do, and he's powerful. He is a master at doing that. And so I want to ask you today, where do you have need right now? Where is there an area of your life where you have need that is unmet right now? Where in your life are you kind of just throwing up your hands and saying, I have empty hands right now. I have a need that I cannot meet in myself. Maybe for you it's relational. Maybe for you it's emotional. Maybe for you it's spiritual, financial, whatever it might be. Where do you have need right now? Think of that for you. And then I want to ask you something. I want you to slip up your hand if you can think of an, I'm not asking you to share, but if you can think of an unmet need in your life right now, just slip up your hand. Pretty much all of us. We all have unmet needs. We'll always have unmet needs living in an imperfect world. 
But I think the follow-up question to that, to revive our souls, to set them on fire, is this follow-up question here is, where am I bringing that need? Where am I bringing that need? Like, if your spiritual house is 48 degrees and freezing right now, it most likely has to do with your answer to these two questions here. Where do I have need, and where am I bringing that need right now? Because the truth is, we have a tendency to bring our needs everywhere but the Lord. Anyone inquiring of the Lord. Anyone inquiring of the Lord. See, we bring our need to be validated to other people. We bring our need to be seen to social media. We bring our need to be satisfied to sex or food or money. And I want to ask again, what is the temperature of your soul right now in this season? I want to take us back to Exodus 33 here. And I want you to notice what the people did as they waited on God. As they brought their needs to him, as they inquired of the Lord. I want you to notice what happens while they are in the midst of their waiting here. In verse 10. This is what it says, and when all the people saw the pillar of cloud, so God's presence standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and, what is that next line? Worship. They worshiped, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So what did they do while Moses was in the tent, while they inquired of the Lord, while they're waiting on him? They worshiped. They worshiped. They reoriented their lives around his presence and his power and his ability to do what only he can do. Even before their needs were met, they worshiped. You see, our worship, our worship, bringing that to God, is sometimes and a lot of the times what needs to happen before our needs are ever actually met. Because worship is what satisfies our deepest need, communion with Jesus. So did they have their questions answered yet at this point? No, they didn't. Had their need been met yet? No, it wasn't. Was their situation fixed? No. They were not at the promised land yet. They, were, they had not gotten there yet. And yet they still worshipped. You see, this tent of meeting that Moses sets up outside the camp, you want to know what becomes of this tent of meeting? This tent of meeting becomes something called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle, you can see this get set up in Exodus 40. The tabernacle is not set up outside the camp, but what God calls Israel to do is to set up the tabernacle right in the center of all of it. And the tabernacle is this place, this tent set up that represented the real and tangible presence of God for Israel where their entire lives were redirected and reoriented around his presence, God calls his people to make space for his presence. We said this in our prayer time before service, but God's presence is already here. We don't invite it in. We don't usher it in. He doesn't show up. We are the ones that show up to what he's already doing. We are the ones that are awakened to an awareness of what he's doing. We are the ones that are invited in to join in to what he is already doing. We are the ones that are called to make space for his presence that is already here. And so anytime we go to God, we are bringing need to him. 
every single time. There's never a time where we go to God and are not bringing some level of need to him. And this is actually kind of a backwards idea for our world. Because we're taught that neediness is a bad thing, right? We're taught that like to have need or to be needy is associated with things like being lazy or not hardworking or freeloading or dependent. Like the word needy does not have good connotations. The word needy is the only posture to ever approach Jesus with. Because the moment we approach him from any other place other than a place of desperation and need, you know what God calls us? Stiff-necked people. You can approach God and stand on your own merits. You can approach God and convince yourself that you earned what he gave you. You can approach God and, and think that spiritual maturity is somehow needing him less and less. But the opposite is true. Spiritual maturity is recognizing your need for him more and more. It's not like you get saved and then like holiness is you figuring out how to behave yourself on your own. No, you get saved and holiness is recognizing I am nothing apart from him. I can't behave, I can't live the way he wants without the power of his Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me and me making space for that. And so when we repent of our sins, we're bringing our need for him, to him. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance, turning from sin, confessing our sin, bringing that before Jesus is acknowledging our desperate need for him, for him to do what only he can do. Worship is also bringing our need to him. It's placing our nothingness in the hands of Jesus and saying, Jesus, I am not worthy to carry this. You alone are worthy. Eugene Peterson, who is a brilliant author, says this. He says, when we worship, our deepest need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. It's fostered. It's strengthened. See, the moment we approach God from any other place other than a place of desperate need, we have forsaken the gospel of Jesus and are trying to approach him by standing on our own two feet. And that's not the gospel at all. So how do I stay white hot spiritually this next season? How do I stay white hot spiritually this fall? I place my nothingness in the hands of Jesus. I do that today. I do that tomorrow. I do that the next day. I bring my nothingness and I place it in the hands of Jesus. You see, there's mornings in January where we've woken up to see our wood boiler completely dead and frozen and, and no fire in it. But there's also another experience we've had with our wood boiler. <laughs> see, this, uh, this was January of 2020, and that is Door Township Fire Department. Thank you, Door Township Fire Department. See, my wife, one January day in 2020, we thought this was going to be the most eventful part of our 2020. <laughs> we were wrong. Uh, my wife looked out the window, and she saw this wood boiler had burst into flames. The whole thing consumed. The whole thing lit on fire, utterly destroyed. And uh, what had happened is the fire got too hot to the point where the building could not contain it. 
And my gosh, that is my prayer for this church. That the fi- I'm not talking about arson. We're not lighting the building on fire here. <laughs> but my hope for this church, this community, is that the fire is revived and is so hot that the building cannot contain it. And we get to that place by placing our nothingness in the hands of Jesus. You're stepping into leading a small group this fall and you don't feel equipped or prepared. Perfect. You're placing your nothingness in the hands of Jesus. You're struggling in your marriage right now in this season. Come to us. Let us walk with you. Join a small group. Get in community. Let us help you find a counselor. You're placing your nothingness in the hands of Jesus. Struggling with your mental health right now? Get help. Don't hide it. Put it out there. Confess it. Get it out there. You're placing your nothingness in the hands of Jesus. Your financial situation feels dire. You're not knowing where your next mortgage payment is going to come from. Put that nothingness in the hands of Jesus because every single need that we have, every peripheral need that we have is designed to point us to our ultimate need, which is the presence of God in our lives. Church, can we be the type of church that builds our lives around his presence, that goes where he wants us to go, that will not take a step forward without him being the one that's leading us? So here's how I want to close today. I want to give us a very real, very easy, very tangible way to do just this. You notice we have people from our prayer team up here right now. And we're going to worship. We're going to sing a couple songs here. All about this idea of bringing our need to Jesus. And if you have a need, during these next two songs, I want you to come up and be prayed with and prayed for. And here's the trick. You all have needs. You raised your hands earlier. Bait and switch, right? No, I'm just kidding. We all have needs. The question is, where are we bringing them? And so during this last time of worship, we're going to just pour our hearts out before Jesus. We're going to let him do what only he can do. I was talking to one of our prayer volunteers earlier, and the, and the verse that kept ringing in her mind is, come to me, all who are weary. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His presence is rest. His presence is peace. His presence is what revives frozen souls. So I'm going to offer a prayer up for us this morning. And then as we worship, I want you to come forward and bring your need and be prayed over and prayed with and prayed for. And if there's a line to be prayed with, if you're here and you want to pray with somebody else, pray with the person next to you. Like, let's do this. Let's bring our need before Jesus and ask him to revive what is spiritually frozen in our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, for this church, for this community, for how you're moving, for what you're doing. But God, in the words of Moses, if we are going forward without you, we don't want to go. And so God, our prayer, our cry, our heart this morning is that you would be the one that leads us, that you would be the one that goes before us, that where there are needs that we cannot meet in our own lives, that we will bring those to you, lay them down, and submit those to you, God. And God, that more than any of that, that in doing so, our hearts and our souls and our affections will be revived and that this church, these people will be a fire that a building cannot contain. 
God, light our souls on fire for you. God, create in us this desire, this passion to be a church that builds everything around your presence, everything around your power. Because, God, it's in that where you do what only you can do. And so, God, in this next season, I pray for things to be healed in our lives. God, in this next season, I pray for people who are isolated and alone to find community. God, I pray in this next season for areas that feel hopeless or dead or frozen in our lives will be brought back to life. Father, revive us. Revive us. So this morning, it's in Jesus' name that we pray.